This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Today's guest speaker has served as an early employee on the Amazon Alexa team. She has contributed to the conversational AI ecosystem globally, and currently she is scaling Microsoft Enterprise's AI platforms. Listen in as Noelle LaCharité and I discuss results from Microsoft Build 2019, how conversational AI is coming of age, how you can be participatory with AI to make a more inclusive world, and why the Met Museum is adopting immersive technology. Welcome to Humane. My name is David Jakobovich, and I will be your host throughout this series. Together, we will explore AI through fireside conversations with industry experts. From business executives and AI researchers to leaders who advance AI for all, Humane is the channel to release new AI products, to learn about industry trends, and to bridge the gap between humans and machines in the fourth industrial revolution. If you like this episode, remember to subscribe and leave a review. Welcome back to the Humane Podcast, everyone. I'm David Jakobovich, your host. And today we have a tech evangelist who I've met at hackathons and meetups in New York City. Noelle La Charité lives now in Seattle and works as an advocate for women in technology and is very passionate and mindful leadership with the work-life harmony and helping people achieve their dreams. She also specializes in helping brands develop skills for Amazon Alexa. And in fact, today works for Microsoft on the Alexa and Cortana Tana Partnership. She delivers workshops globally. We're happy to have you here today, Noelle. How you doing? Wonderful. Thanks so much for having me. It's a long time coming, so I'm so excited to be here. 
Oh, it's so fun. I love when I got to build Alexa skills in New York at some of these hackathons. And yeah. just it's amazing to see how far the platforms come and how it's it's not just an Amazon game, but multiple companies are getting in on it as well. That's right. Right now, one of the things I'm really interested in, I've actually, it's been somewhat of a soapbox for me is um, being, I don't want to have to build like a separate thing for all of these different platforms. So I've been constantly saying we have to have one way to build, you know, a single thing, whether it's a a bot or a skill or whatever it is. And then just be able to, you know, all of these things like Google and Cortana and Alexa are just simply channels for that single thing. And we're finally at a point where we can do that. So I was was excited to join the new Microsoft assistant team and really help make kind of this core bot, we call it bot service, bot framework, kind of the single bot to rule them all. And then allowing us to literally within a couple minutes deploy to, you know, I could write my bot once and then have it on Alexa, Cortana, and Google within just a few minutes. If you're a technologist, it's relatively easy. If you're a business user, it's slightly harder. But but there are even companies that are specializing in this today. There's a company, uh, Zamo AI, I think, and their whole role has been, how do we make this easy for business users to create voice skills? And so similarly, right, they want to build one bot and then just deploy it everywhere for you. So, so it's a really interesting, I think it'll be a very interesting couple of years. Enterprise voice is really exciting. But but it's just, yeah, like you said, it, we've come so far in just five years. It's crazy that five years ago, we weren't even thinking about this. Yeah, I had the opportunity earlier this year to be on a webinar with LogMe and, and Bold360 mm-hmm. talking about conversational AI and talking about companies like uh, Nike and uh, Starbucks and H&M who are doing bots, but also using the voice. Yeah. Why do you think it's we switched from text to voice so quickly? I think if we could have, we would have gone to voice directly. (laughs) So text is a bit more mature from a natural language perspective. So just technically, it's easier. To give you an example, we have about 60 languages that you can translate in text using a web service, Cognitive Services. Here at Microsoft, 60 languages with a single call. Like That's pretty incredible. When you go and then try to do that and nuance it in voice, right now we support nine languages. Oh, you know, wow. Very, very quickly adding more. But it's definitely a subset because it's a much harder, right? Text is pretty finite. Like you type in text <laughs> and it is what it is. But when people speak, they could have all sorts of different things happen. They could use slightly different words that mean the same thing. They could have an accent. You know, they could have a speech impediment. They could, there's so much that can come into play that makes the development of speech interfaces much more difficult, which is why, you know, having companies kind of come in and support business users to do this work is so important because it it is a very complicated, a complicated process. But at the same time, it is what people, you know, customers, you and I, it's what we want. We'd much rather say it than type it if we had the choice. So it's just a matter of trying to get that technology to meet us there. Now, there's nine languages. I imagine they're probably the Romance languages, English, Spanish, French, Italian. Uh, Why has it been so troublesome to pick up some of these other languages like Chinese, Korean, Japanese, and others? Yeah, as a matter of fact, we at Microsoft, we focused on Asian languages first. So 
Chinese is one of our languages because we were looking to achieve human parity in actual translation, real-time translation. There's a couple of videos, maybe I'll send you a link for you to add to the show notes, a couple of videos that we've had at our different developer conferences where we even do it live on stage. And it's not perfect, but I love, I always ride on the edge of danger, right? Doing live demos on stage. You never know if they're going to go perfectly. They almost never do. I mean, the sheer like availability of the tech to even attempt it. And more importantly, it actually does a decent job is phenomenal. So yeah, Chinese, for some, it's hard because A, it takes uh, domain expertise in that language. Linguists are harder to come by, more expensive to come by. And also you have to have a pretty decent natural language model that's not just voice, but also graphical, right? Ultimately, if you look at some of our speech services and some of the speech services really broadly, you're looking at a text translation happens, right? It's like speech, then you turn it into text and then text and you turn it into speech. So oftentimes companies like Microsoft are like, do we really need that middle part? (laughs) How much work do we need to spend in that text translation piece? And when you realize that you actually have to do quite a bit there, that's when, you know, companies like Microsoft dove deep and said, oh my gosh, we have to spend a lot of time on these graphical languages like Chinese, like you know, uh, Japanese and be able to really get machine learning to a point where it can successfully do that translation in text. And then adding speech is really relatively simple on top of that. So I think you'll see more of that moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. I I can't wait for a time for when, you know, I can make my podcast and simply translate into 30 languages or write a research report and it's translated into 60 languages. How soon do you think, or how close are we to making that possible? Yeah, we're there now. So today you could pass in a report and have it generate. Now, the nuance to that is that you still need a, a developer, someone who's going, a user experience person, someone who's going to make it look pretty, someone who might do some initial editing, because oftentimes, now, if you write a white paper and you just want to translate the white paper, then you've already done that editing. And so you really just need kind of a human to look at the output of the model and go, yep, yeah, that's about right. Yeah, that means, oh, no, we don't, you know, when we use these words together, that doesn't mean the same thing as it does in English. So we have to be careful. So that's where we, what used to take a very long time for a human to actually manually translate, now we can improve the ingenuity of that individual, right? Let them do way more because now they're going to have kind of the lion's share of that translation done for them. And now they're just reviewing it, editing it, iterating on it, as opposed to building that translation from scratch. So that technology is available now. Really, the burden is on us as uh, thought leaders, as engineers, as business owners to take advantage of the technology and use it to solve, you know, our customers' problems. I can't wait to try it out. And, you know, one other thing I think about is, should I even learn new languages anymore? You know, I I speak English, I speak some Spanish, and I've always thought, ah, I want to learn Mandarin, but everyone keeps telling me, no, it's it's too hard. I mean, are we going to get to that point next few years where I should just, ah, just quit, you know, English is what I'll do, and I'll just have an earpiece all the time. Yeah, right. Um, Well, it it depends on your motive for learning the language. So many times people are drawn to a language because they're going into a country and they want to be able to navigate around and it's very temporary, right? It's not, they're not looking to actually understand the language or the culture or anything like that. Like, they're just like, I just need to be able to find the bathroom and get a beer. (laughs) Like that's very (laughs) transactional. And for those purposes, I do think that these on the go services, there's actually an app for your 
phone called uh, Microsoft Translator. And I've used it at conferences because I'm, for example, this soon I'll be speaking at a conference in Poland. And many of the talks will be in Polish. Mine, of course, will be in English. So what I did is I basically turn on Translator and it's a push to talk. So you hold down the mic. It collects all of this text that's being said um, or all these words that are being said. And then it live translates it for you. So I can tell what they're saying. <laughs> I can tell the context of the conversation. And I don't need to learn Polish to do that. But stories like the software like Duolingo will tell you that people are actually drawn to learn languages for way more than just the transactional benefit of being able to find a bathroom, right, or get a meal. People actually love the language. I know many of my friends that have learned Japanese, have learned, you know, Mandarin, have learned even Spanish or Irish, do it for a love of the language and for that neurological benefit that you get when you try to do something that's hard. And of course, giving yourself an excuse to then once you've maybe done the work of learning the language, now you get to go visit and now you get to practice that language with actual people that speak it. There's a totally different kind of human benefit to language learning than just kind of that transactional thing that AI can probably assist with today. And so much of this work has been going on for the past few years. You know, we look at companies like Nuance and, mm -hmm. and even, you know, Microsoft and Apple and Google and many others and Amazon included who've done all that work with research. I think what's so fascinating is now that there's a collective, right? You mentioned that Amazon and, and Microsoft are partnering together to create a consistent API and create a consistent experience. What spawned that experience? Yeah, well, I mean, at least for me, I've been in... You know, I started at Alexa in the very beginning when there was like it was a very, very small team. And at that time, I think the mission and I remember actually being in a room where they showed us the very first customer complaint or it wasn't really a complaint. It was like feedback. And the feedback was, why do I ever need to know what skill I need to call or what Alexa knows or has learned? Why do I ever need to know the details of you know, how to make a, why can't I just ask for stuff? And if Alexa knows, it knows if it doesn't, figures it out and knows pretty quickly and lets me know that it's figured it out. Like, how does it become more contextual? And the only way that that would be possible is by really adding to this command and control structure that we have today, where you have to like invoke an action on Google a certain way or invoke a skill, right? A certain way by, you know, you have an invocation name and then you have intents that you're calling. I mean, it's, more natural than we've ever had before, but it's still not natural, right? I can't just say, hey, Alexa, you know, give me a, a meditation or I want to meditate for five minutes. That would not, it actually would push you into this command structure and be like, would you like to call this skill? Where the user's like, whatever, okay, if I have to, um, they don't really want to know that. So I think we are now drawn to this world where we want to be device independent. This is one of the things that we announced at Build earlier this year, where we were talking about how do we make voice integration like just ubiquitous? It doesn't matter where you are. I want to be able to start a conversation in my office and then continue it in my car and then be able to, you know, go home and find out how it went or get a status update. I want it to be anywhere all the time and that context be able to be carried across these devices. And that's really where that kind of one bot came from is like customers want that. They want to not care. They all, you know, I don't know if you know a lot of people with voice like assistants, but 
many of them have more than one, right? I right. use Siri on my phone all the time. I also have Alexa on my phone. I have Cortana in my office. I have Cortana on my laptop. I also have, you know, Alexa at home and sometimes in my car, right? So I don't want to necessarily have to remember the nuances of each platform. They should just be channels for a cust- like for me as a customer to be able to communicate and get what I want done. Yeah, I think that's incredible. I have uh, Alexa everywhere, right? So, but I also have yeah, Cortana yeah. because I have I have a Mac computer, Windows computer, and a Linux computer. So it's amazing how right. every machine you have different tools you get to work with, and it's fascinating how they're built in as a utility, but instead the framework you're sharing is making a one bot, right? Making a shared experience. And so, you know, as you mentioned earlier this year, Microsoft had its build conference, a lot of new developments coming out, especially around conversation, especially around AI. What are some of the changes that were exciting that you saw coming out this year? Oh, there were so many. It was great to see, of course, been watching this a long time just because of my experience at Amazon and watching Alexa. I think my first reinvent after Alexa was launched we had to like fight to get a few sessions. And then, you know, over the course of a few years, my last reInvent before I joined Microsoft, you know, we had like 75 sessions. We had our own area at the Aria, right? So watching this velocity, I think, is so exciting. And so similarly at our, you know, my dev conference last year at Build, I spoke on uh, conversational AI, but there was just a few mentions of it, right? We launched Unified Speech Services, which is the combination of speech to text, text to speech, speech authorization and authentication, like all of these different services were kind of unified into a single model. Uh, so that was super exciting. But this year, voice was really like it was pervasive. It was throughout every talk, someone mentioned natural language, uh, which I thought was really exciting. One of the big ones was this concept of conversation learner, the ability. So imagine, for example, you're in a meeting, which many of us maybe spend more time than we care to in, and we go into a meeting and you now have a device in that meeting, whether it's your phone or whether it's an actual speaker. We have a dev kit now with a really interesting speaker that allows this technology to work the best. But what happens is, is that as people are talking, Conversation Learner, which is a a model provided by Cognitive Services and Applied AI, it allows you to listen, or I should say the software, the AI model is listening and able to identify each individual speaker. It is then also able to identify what that speaker is saying and attribute it kind of like in a transcript, right? Where it'll say Noel and what Noel said, and then David, and he'll have like a profile picture and the words. So you get this like full on back and forth in text in real time. And one of the most important things, really one of the things that is the reason I joined Microsoft was it doesn't limit you just to what a typical natural language model could do. You actually get to train that model. So let's say you're in healthcare or let's say you're in, uh, I don't know, digital marketing or finance or real estate. And there are certain terms, maybe hundreds of terms that are specific to your industry, specific to the niche that you're in. How do you make sure that like your language model doesn't fail because it hears a word that it doesn't know Hmm. or an acronym that it doesn't recognize? So you can train now this conversation learner. So as you're rattling off this kind of dictation, it's no longer that command and control, right? You're not sending it a command and it comes back. Now you're just talking and it's able to capture what you said 
identify keywords that you've trained it on specific to your specific, you know, your industry or your company. And then you get to use things like text analytics to analyze sentiment of the meeting. You get to use text analytics to identify keywords, right? And entities that are important, providing the ability to not just take really detailed notes of that meeting, but maybe even help populate those action items that came from that meeting. So really great stuff like this is things that were very difficult. You know, we always had people asking, or at least I have as a solutions architect, where they're like, I really want to dictate notes. I really want to, you know, talk for a long time and have the machine, you know, be able to figure it out. And that's been really hard up until now. So uh, Conversation Learner is actually available. So you guys could go take a look at it online. Uh, You do have to, uh, I think, register in order to get into the private beta, but it'll soon release publicly. So what an exciting, right? Like never before we've been able to just rattle off, you know, as a web service, which means you don't have to be a data scientist to take advantage of this tech. We've been able to do this for quite some time in AI. This is not a new technology, but the fact that we've been able to democratize it and make it accessible as a web service, that indeed is actually quite new. I think it's so incredible for several reasons. In a future episode of Humane, I'll be featuring Mark Sears from Cloud Factory talking about how you can use data and annotate that for success with teams. But for me, particularly back in 2008, my first job when I was paying my way through undergrad and college was a financial transcriptionist where I was listening uh, to lawyers and and doctors and actually typing with all the shortcuts. And so it's crazy to see how in literally just about 10 years where we've where we've come and you know I was actually at the Aria last year at the Hack Health Hackathon and one of the winning teams was using Microsoft's conversational platform when it was in its alpha stage and it was still amazing already to see how take a healthcare if there was a, a dialogue of a doctor and a patient how instantly you could be having that translation and you could have recommendations and I think it's going to be so powerful for enterprise cases coming up very soon. You could say conversation right. AI is coming of age. Exactly. And it's just so interesting, the velocity, right, that it's moving. I mean, I've been in tech for a very long time. I've seen lots of iterations of when web services were becoming a thing to when virtualization was becoming a thing, when, you know, cloud and even mobile, but nothing quite like this. Uh, you know, AI, I think, is really increasing the velocity of you know, our technology and what we're able to do with it, which is great. We do have to be careful, <laughs> but it's great. Hey, humans, are you accumulating lots of listening minutes for your podcast, but not being rewarded for your listening time? There's a new app available now called Podcoin where you can listen to podcasts and donate your listening time to charity. Podcoin gives you the opportunity to be rewarded for listening to your favorite podcasts. Whether you're listening to Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss, or Terry Gross, or even Humane, Podcoin is the new app for you to give back for your listening minutes. Check it out on the App Store. Now, there's so much out there in the space of AI, and a lot of conferences have popped up, and you get to learn a lot, and some is to network. Are there any AI conferences you recommend for people wanting to get more into conversational AI? Yeah, so there's um, specifically around voice, which is a bit of my passion. There are some really great conferences. So this year is the first collection of conferences of its kind where there's a specialization so we earlier this year, there was a voice in the car summit that was done. There's also a voice in hospitality, a voice in banking, 
summit, right, where people who have a very specific interest can get together. I love the concept of these conferences because it's kind of like a mastermind, if you've ever read like Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, where you bring together people who are already working in this space, combining with people who want to work in this space. But it it's like the tide, you know, that rises all boats. Like everyone gets smarter in these environments because people are extremely collaborative and sharing and everyone's talking about kind of the same industry, which makes it easier to dive deeper and solve tougher problems that that industry is facing. So I really like those niched, niche ones. Uh, Voice First, the same organization that runs the Alexa conference, has this series that they're doing throughout the year. Alexa conference, I think they're about to be, they might be under a new name uh, at the time of, you know, that you guys are listening to this, but they have a, the voice first conference does have a quite a bit of, you know, they've been around a long time. They've got, I'm a friend of them. You know, I'm like, Hey, if you guys ever want me to come and talk, I'm happy to do it. They've got a lot of really great organizations assisting them in that way. So you can always be sure that you've got kind of the best of breed speakers, And the first conference that I ever went to that was dedicated to voice really was the Voice Summit. And that is happening this summer. It is part of basically the the benefit behind Voice Summit is that they've got a ton of different tracks in each industry, but there's like 5,000 people going to be there. It's probably the largest Voice Summit of its kind. So really exciting. You know, the likes of Amazon, of course, with Alexa, Microsoft is a, a platinum sponsor. Prudential is a sponsor. Like all of these very, very big names are coming together, which are the people you want to learn from, right? They always say pioneers are the ones that are like, the ones you see when you're going towards your new goal, they're the ones like face down in the dirt with like arrows in their back. And you never want to <laughs> necessarily be like super front, uh, you know, bleeding edge is called that for a reason. <laughs> you don't want to be Jon Snow. Yeah, exactly. But these larger companies can do some of that work, right? And so it's nice because here you get to learn from those pioneers, learn from their mistakes, and really build on top of the shoulders of giants, which is, especially in AI, it's never been easier to do that. Yeah, this is super cool. I was just mentioning about like you never want to be the Jon Snow with arrows coming into your back unless you unless you get the second uh, lifeblood of coming back to life. But uh, I'll actually I'll be joining you. That's coming. (laughs) Uh, I'll actually be joining you a few weeks actually at the Voice Summit. So I'm on one of the AI panels with a Google Ethics speaker talking about ethics and voice. So it's a fun topic and uh, look forward to see you in New Jersey. And for all those listening to the show, it'll be at New Jersey Institute of Technology from July 22nd to 25th. Absolutely. So, so great. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so fun. And, you know, I think it's also important to think, you know, how you and everyone can be participatory in AI and participatory in voice. So one of my favorite startups that lets everyone experience this is one in Canada. It's called Lyrebird. So you basically get to take uh, a voice sample, do that a few times. And before you know it, you have a robotic or almost human sounding voice of yourself. Mm -hmm. Are there any other startups or products at Microsoft you can call out for people to get participatory here? Oh my gosh, there's so many. So we have a whole collection of AI models that are accessible and you can even test them out right inside of the browser. So you don't have to download anything or do anything, but we have a a collection of these models. We call them pre-built AI because all the hard work of developing the model, training the model and data, all that work has been done and you just get the benefit of the feature set, right? So those features would be things like 
I want to add, you know, how could I add facial recognition? I'm just an app developer. I say just, even though they're, it's my skill set as well. But we're, we as developers often look at like, oh, I want to implement facial recognition. And we're like, wow, that's hard work. We're probably not going to do that. That's not necessarily the case anymore. For example, maybe I'm building an application that is going to be used by call center people and they're going to be triaging incoming requests. I could tell sentiment analysis right on those requests. I could identify entities and pre-populate a bunch of those entities in the form of questions that might be asked, right? I can improve that individual's person, you know, that individual person trying to help the customer. I can actually use AI through a web service, just typical application developer, call a web service. Now you can use AI models to kind of bubble this up. So if you're interested in learning it though, and want to dive deep, there's actually a couple different ways you can do this. One is you might not be a technologist. You may not be, you know, super technical. And if you're not, we've developed what's called the AI business school. So it's AI business school. You can probably just Google it, but it's Microsoft's AI business school. And it really does go through all of the technical content, but from a business perspective. So if you're like, in the more product marketing, project marketing, or, or product management, program management, or even an entrepreneur or the leader of an organization, these classes will help you see business value and kind of see AI and even build AI through the lens of kind of business growth and strategic growth. But then we also have for those technologists listening, we have the AI school, which is a bunch of curated courses that we've developed on like how to build an intelligent app, how to build a virtual assistant, how to create a, a device. I was one of the people who helped work on the original Alexa Pi project, right? Um, that Sam Machin had put together and we kind of fixed up and deployed at Alexa to teach people, how do you, if you you know don't want to, or you're just in the maker community, how do you take Alexa and put it on a Pi? And so now we've gone quite a bit further here at Microsoft. We were like, okay, what, what about voice is cool, but what about computer vision? What if I could add a sensor to, you know, let's say a drone, add a camera to a drone. Could I do image analysis from that drone? Could I fly that drone around a bridge and detect debris or algae or cracks in the foundation? And all of this is accessible. Again, rather than having to be a data scientist, you simply have to know how to build an application, which is a easier skill, I think, to learn potentially than going the route of getting a PhD in like mathematics or statistics <laughs> and learning how to develop algorithms from scratch and certainly more accessible. So AI school and AI business school, both really great. And of course, you know, my Microsoft Learn people would want me to make sure I mentioned Microsoft Learn, which is really just a learning platform of all AI, <laughs> all AI, but also Azure right? There's a lot that goes into artificial intelligence and it's now a bit of a buzzword. So people are not super clear on what it means and what it means to them, which might be different than what someone else means. So realize that when you move into something like artificial intelligence, you're going to be leveraging web services. So you should know what that is. You're going to be building models. You should know kind of the context of what that is. All of this is going to run on cloud computing. So you should understand these concepts and Microsoft Learn provides some detailed curriculum, you know, kind of the classic web-based curriculum MOOCs environment for, for learning that. So, but all of these are accessible. I literally today, or just yesterday, built a bot in a couple minutes right in front of the, a customer. And they were like, 
wait, what did you just do? <laughs> How is that possible? And it was a conversational bot, which had a natural language engine. I used something called Q&A Maker. Within just a couple of minutes, I had ingested a bunch of content on their website and turned it into a conversational application. And then by the end of my one hour had added voice. So it has never been easier to get started with some of this technology. I think the biggest breakthroughs, especially with the use case you just provided, is going to be for small and medium businesses. Traditionally, they are Mm non-technical and they think, wow, I'm going to have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars just to get a bot on my website. And you can show the POC that, no, it's actually just within your reach and you can do it today. And it's incredible, the blistering pace of the technology. That's right. And that, you know, when everything is cloud-based, you know, as we know from you know, AWS's growth and now Microsoft doing a really great job at enterprise cloud, how affordable that now becomes, right? So now you're not looking at this huge capital expenditure to build infrastructure to support this thing. Now you just have these much smaller operational expenses like, oh, every month we have to pay 10 bucks for Q&A maker. Every month we have to pay for 25,000 transactions to support this bot or whatever it is. But you're paying in these small increments that can be turned on and off at your discretion, which really makes a lot of this very, very difficult and usually high computing kind of performance technology really accessible to anyone, including the small business. And I do think that that's part of Microsoft's you know mission. We have on the back of our badges, you know, our, our mission statement is to make, you know, to empower every person and organization on the planet to achieve more, right? So, and what that means is that we want to democratize things that used to be reserved for just, you know, the 1% of the 1% tech companies or Silicon Valley or, you know, those very large companies in the Fortune 500. We want this technology accessible at every level, right? Whether you're just starting up, whether you're building a mobile app, no matter what you're doing, like you should have access to this technology and we're doing our best to make that possible. And I applaud what you're doing and someone being here in New York, you know, I see a lot of the changes in voice and text and, you know, I had the opportunity to go to the Met Museum and and see that there's some, some really cool technology that Microsoft's been working on with MIT. For those who haven't been to the Met yet, Noel, why don't you share with us what you guys have been working on? Absolutely. Yeah. So a few months ago, we got together. I was asked to come in to help lead and facilitate a hackathon. But what made this hackathon unique, and actually we've done a couple of its kind. So a few months prior to this, we were at Abbey Road doing the first ever music-based AI hackathon in Studio One. So for those of you music lovers out there, you, you know how amazing of an opportunity that is. And that was the first time we thought, oh, we really can't just have technologists build AI. We really need to have the domain expertise of those who are passionate and love music, for example, to build good AI solutions for the musical industry. And so fast forward a couple of months, we get a similar opportunity with the Met and we realize again that we need that domain expertise. So we worked with MIT. We actually got a collection of data scientists from MIT, created this wonderful collaboration by inviting a bunch of curators, about 10 curators from the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And, you know, it's kind of like that awkward middle school dance where you have like the data scientists on one side and like the curators on the other. And they're all like you know, shuffling around, looking at their feet, trying to figure out like, how are we going to work together? Both sides kind of, you know, the MIT side being like, I'm definitely strong in my technical skills. I can help you do whatever you want. 
And then the curator side being like, well, I really understand art, but I'm not technical at all. I'm not sure how this is going to work. So there's a lot of skepticism and concern. But within the first day, what ended up happening is we started, everyone identified their area of expertise, their area of passion, and all these really cool projects started to come about. So earlier this year in February, we did this big reveal of those seven projects on the floor of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. We were then hope given the opportunity to share that story on NBC Nightly News, if any of you caught it, which is now still available on um, NBCNews.com. But we had this whole kind of excitement that was being drummed up around how, like, it's not just about AI to solve, you know, business problems or AI to solve tech problems, but now like AI can help everyday problems, right? AI can help music, AI can help art, AI can help fashion. And so this was really a good, a really great example of how important it is and critical it is actually to make sure that you have domain expertise involved, like massively involved in the development of AI to make a meaningful solution for people, you know, for the customer, or in this case, for the patron going to the museum. So it would not have been, you know, it would not have been the same if those data scientists worked in a vacuum and just used the open data. That was the reason we did it, actually, was because the Metropolitan Museum of Art released their open data set on all of their artwork. It was great. Um, But if they worked in a vacuum, they wouldn't have been able to convey kind of that passion and love for art that the curators provided. So it really honed in that message and became something that now we look actively for in these projects. And my claim to fame was that I was uh, part of the Alexa app that we built. So we have a company, Voice Skills Inc., that was um, asked to come in and really help take the hack idea to the next level. And the way that that worked was we wanted to basically be able to ask Alexa for the art of the day. But we couldn't just like we didn't want it to be random art. We wanted to to leverage Microsoft intelligence, Microsoft services by you asking for the day. The Microsoft AI services would actually find out what day it was and then run text analytics on that day, identify from that day, go to Wikipedia and look for relevant art information. There's tons of stuff on Wikipedia if you go like, what's today? What happened today? but find the art things and then correlate that art information off Wikipedia with the open data set from the Met. And that actually is available. We are in beta now, who knows, uh, maybe by the time you are listening to this, this will be available in the store, but you'll be sure to look for it. It's called um, Art of the Day or Today in Art, and it's provided and sponsored by the Met. So pretty cool stuff though, just to see how we're bringing technology into kind of the real world. I think it's so inspiring to see how all industries are being augmented by AI, whether it's conversational or it's text. And it's even more inspiring to see how we're beginning to bridge the gap on diversity with everyone getting involved in AI and coding. I know for a long time you've been involved with Girls Who Code and Women in Tech and AI for All and many different initiatives. And now yourself, you've brought that to the next level with your own podcast, Lady Coders, and doing Mentoring Mondays live on LinkedIn. In. love to hear, you know, what made you get involved in giving back in, in the community as well? Yeah, so I had the luxury, I will say, of being a female in technology. My, in, you know, I've always been in tech and it's been a very tough road and I've always been very vocal about how tough it's been. However, not so many people were interested in my story when I was 20 or 25 or 30. But now that I've become a leader 
And I'm now helping people who are going through those pains of being a 25, ambitious, excited, passionate technologist and hitting kind of some resistance to that organizationally, I can assist them. So Lady Coders originally, we've got a nice manifesto. You can check it out on anywhere podcasts are played, Um, but you can check it out like on iTunes or Spotify, uh, for example. And in our manifesto, we really identify like it's tough. You know, being a woman in tech is tough. It, It can often draw us to a point of like, it shouldn't be this way. Why is it this way? And and kind of come from a place of complaint. But I invite, and I actually have collected a group of women who don't really think that way, right? Yeah, it is tough and it's unfortunate, but how can we change the world, right? There are such great initiatives like Women in Tech. I run the Women in Tech Seattle meetup group. There's so many opportunities for us to pull together and do good. As a matter of fact, recently um, I uncovered some research done by a team at Google around like the impact of an HBR, uh, Harvard Business Review just did a similar study and article on like the impact of having females in machine learning, you know, development cycles and why that's important. It was also identified that there were equally not just women, but how important it is to have the introverted view of the world represented, how important it was to have someone who maybe is not technical involved in technical discussions to provide insight. There's such an importance, not just for creating a diverse workforce, because we all have heard that. That's a good thing. Of course, we should do that. But really, it's more about how do I include their voices in the decisions that we make? Mm -hmm. And so Lady Coders and my mentoring Mondays call on LinkedIn. I also do a mastermind, which is a group where we get together in person three times a year and talk about these issues and less about identifying the problem because we're all good at that and more about how do we move the needle? How do we make a change? How do we, we do it? And we can't. I've learned you can't do it by yourself. It really does take kind of a bit of a, at least a collection, if not a bit of a movement to get people thinking a different way. And so Lady Coders has been been that for me. And so far, it's been my vehicle for helping other women find people just like them and not really taking that negative stance like, oh, woe is me, this is hard, but more, how do I use my skills for good? How do I use my female perspective to help organizations And the better part about this, or the, I guess, shining light at the end of that story is organizations are beginning to see that value too. I don't know if you know this, but California recently announced that they now need, they are requiring that there be a female representative on all boards, uh, all company boards, right? So you have to have a woman on every board within, if you're in California. And I think that's fantastic. It's sad that it had to become a requirement for people to do it, but hey, I'll take it. (laughs) But the reason it's required is because those companies with female leadership on their boards do better. And maybe companies can't get there organically. So states like California are mandating it, but they do better. So how can I help women in technology realize that they actually do provide quite a bit of value? And what's the best way to surface that value up, whether in your own company that you started or in a company you work for? So very passionate about it. I love it. I love helping people. It turns out, though, that Lady Coders is not all women. <laughs> the problems that we face, many people face, all marginalized people. I'm a Latin woman as well. So I'm a, a woman in tech. I'm also Puerto Rican. So I have a unique set of challenges that go along with that. I believe right now there's only 1% of 
women that are in technical leadership roles, 1% of them are Hispanic, which is a sad, sad thing that I hope to change, but it certainly motivates me to, you know, to do things like this and have conversations like this to help encourage other women. I never want to say like, you should go into tech, whether you like it or not. I think you should go wherever your passion takes you. But if it's tech, I want to make sure that you are equipped with all the knowledge I have anyway, to be successful. So yeah. So thanks for letting me share that. That's, it's one of my big passion projects. Noelle, thanks for helping us move the needle to make a more inclusive world for humans where each and everyone can share our voices powered by AI. It's such a pleasure to have you on the Humane Podcast. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, thanks to all the listeners. It's been great. Hey, humans. Thanks for listening to this episode of Humane. My name is David Jakobovich, and if you like Humane, remember to click subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Luminary. Thanks for tuning in and join us for our next episode. New releases are every Tuesday. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.